Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. Pastor Jason, how you doing? I'm doing good, Pastor Tyler. How about yourself, man? I'm doing well. Good. I am doing well. We are, this was week nine of Colossians. Week nine. Week nine, and we have made it a little bit through chapter three. Uh, our text this last week was chapter three, verses five through 11, uh, which I'm just going to go ahead and read now. Yeah. And then we can go from there. So if you're joining with us, grab your Bible. We'll be in Colossians chapter three, starting in verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. This is God's word. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. So that was our text this week, and we sort of landed on this big idea of we put to death, as, as Paul says in the text here, we put to death our old life by putting on our new life in Christ. Yep. Um, and the first thing that I wanted to ask is like, this is a hard thing to believe. Like, right. this is a hard, like it's one thing to say, and we do this a lot. We do Christianese. We do this a lot as believers. Uh, it's, it's almost like a trademark of the Christian faith. Like we say we believe something, but then when we look at the fruit of our lives, it turns out we really don't live like that's sure. true. Sure. And so do we really believe this? Like, do we, do we really live like it's true that we really died and that we're really made new? What does that look like in the Christian life to live a life that, that doesn't just say, yeah, man, like I'm a new, I'm a newborn Christian. I'm a born right. again believer, but really live like, man, I really died right. and I'm really made new. What does that look like? Yeah. I think there's two perspectives on that. There's God's perspective and then our perspective. Yeah. Um, so God's perspective is, is what happened at Calvary, as Luther would say, is the great exchange. Yeah. There was a cosmic death of Biblical proportions, to say it that way. Um, and so there was a transaction that took place there. And so from God's point of view, there's a finality yeah. that's been done. Now, um, from our point of view, this is where Jesus comes in and says, anybody who would follow me must take up his cross mm. daily, yeah, deny himself and follow me. And the disciples didn't know what Jesus was saying at that point because... Yeah the cross was coming and all of that type of stuff like that. And so I think there's two perspectives, God's and ours, but we adjust our perspective by God's perspective. Mm. And so, um, you know, we said that each week, excuse me, while we're in chapter three, we're going to read verse one yeah. because that's the thesis statement. Yeah. It, since you've been raised with Christ. Yeah. If then you have been raised with Christ. And everything else flows from that. That's his yeah. thesis statement. And so, yeah, the Christian life, man, what I'm finding out is daily slaying this old man. That's why... Slaying. Slaying this this Jason of 
me, 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 every conversation, control. You, you, you've got to slay that person daily. Yeah. And, and this is why, like, you know, the Puritans and the Christians long before us, that they knew this. That's why, you know, Bible meditation, Bible reading, prayer, the, the, these spiritual disciplines were seen as more of a, uh, an armory for this battle yeah. versus us a quiet time. Right. Now. Yeah. You know, I mean I mean there is a there's a war. There's something. I mean Paul is very clear. Yeah. He says you put to death, you put away like you know, there's actions that we have to do. And so the whole of the Christian life is slaying this flesh and yeah. the, and the flesh we use this word, these words all the time. The flesh is that part of us that is not yet fully submitted to God. Yeah, that's the definition of the flesh, and so we have to slay that every day. Yeah. And the rest of the Christian life is being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Yeah, to see it from God's perspective. Yeah, and the more and more that we believe what God believes about us, that's the thing, man. Yeah. Is we are learning to believe what God believes about us. Yeah, that's the game changer. Well, I think the I think the language is important too. I mean, Paul says, "Put to death." Yeah, mortify. Like, and, yeah, and slaying is the appropriate term. Like, like man, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Yeah, not the wages of sin is an inconvenience to your life. Like, yep. like the sinful nature in the flesh part of us that's not like fully submitted to God yet. We don't just like. We don't just tolerate throughout the day and say, "Oh, that's just part of who I like." Yeah. Like the posi- you don't tolerate somebody who's trying to kill you. Yeah. You don't um, tolerate sin. You terminate. Yeah, it. you terminate it. Yeah, that's that's really great. And I think that perspective is great. And um, so yes, uh, sorry, my mind was just chasing something completely different. So the we really Terminator did, or something yeah, like that. A, yeah, yeah right. Sarah Connor. Like, here we go. <laughs> um, so so what are we terminating? Um, what are we putting to death? Like Paul is sort of giving a list here. It's like, and this is the language that he's using. He's 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 using the phrase "put to death," to mortify, to kill. Um, and we said that loving the cross means hating our sin mm. and hating the sin that put him there. Our sin. Our sin. Yeah, not someone else's. Yes. Um, and th- there's a time and a place for that. And there's a time and a place for accountability and for and for being honest with one another in community. And we will get there as we get to the end of the podcast. But Paul says the first thing that we need to do is address our sin, what's in our hearts. Yes. And so I want to ask this question because the here in a few minutes we're going to get into the actual content of this letter of what Paul is talking about, of what actually we're killing and what actually we're stifling. Um, but is there a difference in hating the sin within ourselves and hating ourselves? Mm. Because the sins that we're going to be talking about today and the sins that the text talk about uh, carry a lot of shame, especially in Christian culture, yep. that if you engage in those, like there, there's a degree where, you know, to some degree, there's no turning back in terms of consequences, and sure. there can be a lot of shame and a lot of guilt there. And so is there a difference in hating the sin that is within our flesh, within ourselves, that's not fully submitted to God yet, and just straight outright hating ourselves? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think a... A massively important one. And so because Christians aren't okay with tension, we say things like, well, you know, the Bible says love the sinner and hate the sin. Well, first off, I would love a (laughs) chapter and verse on that, please. Um, Secondly... Who are the people that God hates in the Psalms? I mean, so so we're we're just we're not okay with tension. Is all I'm trying to say. So we really try to gloss over stuff. Yeah. Secondly, I think this is really important that 
that there's a ditch on either side of the road. And so when we get to, um, and most of the time this happens in more legalistic circles, you know, people will say things like, well, I know, you know, that there's nothing good in me. I understand what people are saying when they say that, but yeah. the but the reality is is that you're created in the image and likeness of God. Amen. That that this is the basis of human dignity and worth, and so there's that. There's also the great commandment that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. So there's a healthy presupposing of a love of self there, um, and then to really get down to it is this is about our sin, that that part of us that hasn't fully submitted yet to God. And I would just defer to what Paul says in, in Romans 6 and 7. He says, you know, I do the things that I don't want to do, and yeah. the things that I want to do, I don't do. And then he says this phrase, who can save this wretched man that I am? And yeah. the phrase wretched there, a lot of people would say, see, Paul had this view of himself, that he was chief of sinners, and that he was a wretched man. Well, the reality is the term wretched man means exhausted. Mm. What Paul's saying is is that he's exhausted from religion. Yeah. And the whole context is the law. And so anytime I hear somebody say, you know, I hate, you know, almost borderline hating myself, man, that's a that's a ditch on on the road that I don't think God wants us to go in. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's understanding again, not from our perspective but changing it from God's perspective yeah. and um, looking at it the way that we do. So I think there's a massively unhealthy stream in the church to succinctly answer the question yeah. of hating ourselves. Um, I think there's denying ourselves, which is completely different than yeah. hating ourselves. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think that's important to know. No, that's really good. And Roman, Roman says that there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think growing up, like I always viewed that verse as, as a, like, oh well, you've got nothing on me. Like I can't be condemned because I'm sure. in Christ. And and as I got older, I'm I'm realizing contextually, it's, uh, that's an introversion thing. Sure. Um, to condemn yourself. Yeah. Um, therefore, there is. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, not just eternal condemnation, but condemnation from from ourselves, from from the the work of the enemy in our minds, or even just our own guilt and our shame from past experiences. Yeah. That uh, shifting and having God's perspective of of the image and likeness in which we are made after Him. Yeah, because that verse is written from God's perspective, right? right? Yeah. That there's therefore now no condemnation in yeah. Christ, and so it's our job to believe that by faith. Right. But the reality is, is that it doesn't say that there is therefore now. No no consequences for right. those who are in Christ, right? Because that's the facts, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and 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 I think that we would love to blend those two. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, if yeah. you have a, you're condemning me. No, these are consequences. These are consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, what are we putting to death? Um, we talked about we talked about two things this past week: what we put to death and how we do it. And the first thing was what we put to death, and it was earthly passions. Yeah. Earthly passions is sort of what you lumped into. And can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Like like the, the the full list of, of things that are mentioned in chapter 3, starting in verse 2, uh, verse, I'm sorry, in verse 5, um, you, you sort of named as earthly passions. Yeah, there's, what, a, yeah. there's a compare and contrast list that Paul yeah. does. Yeah. And, and in verse 5, it's 
sins of the heart. Yeah. And then later on, it's sins sort of of the mouth. Yeah. So it's internal versus external. That's what he's trying yeah. to show. He's saying, listen, you you can't do this on your own because yeah. there's the internal battle and then there's the external. And then he says, lie to one another, which are sins in community and right. stuff. G. Campbell Morgan said that the other list that's down in verse 7 are the far more acceptable sins in the church. Mm. Um, but the earthly passions... He starts with the very first word, yeah. um, which is sexual immorality, yeah. and everything really flows. Yeah, why does he start with that? Why does Paul start yeah. with sexual immorality? Like, why isn't why isn't evil desire at the start of the yep. list or covetousness? Why is it why is it sexual immorality at the beginning of that? Yeah, I think Paul is is extremely logical, which is why it's very fun to preach through Paul's epistles and his yeah. letters because he's like. Point A, sub point, sub point, sub, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's great to preach through, but he he's showing us that sexual morality is first, but then he ends the list with the word idolatry, and it's really like a golden chain that he's showing us, and I believe um, the reason why Paul includes that is because it is not a problem, it is the problem. Yeah. It is the problem, I think, back then. Yeah. When you read the rest of the New Testament, there's massive teaching on sexual ethics and yeah. behavior, yeah. and it's the problem today. And, it, and it's not a problem just in the culture, man. Yeah. It is not a problem when it comes yeah. to Christians in the church. In my experience as a pastor, it is the problem. Yeah. But it's important to note, it's the problem that's the fruit of something. Right. Okay, yeah. so 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 this is behavior, yeah. sexual immorality, but then the idolatry is the yeah. belief, and we'll get into that. Well, let's that, let's take a look at this piece of fruit that shows um, idolatry is the root of it. If sexual yeah. immorality is is the core pro- the core fruit problem, um, what is it? Yeah, I mean, I th- I feel like there's a big a big que- like we use the term we throw around the term as Christianese like sure. sexual immorality. What specifically boots on the ground like? What, yeah. what is it? What is sexual immorality? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think it's an important one, and I'm glad that we have the rest of the sermon because I didn't have time in the sermon to really deal with that. It's, um, I mean, I did. I clarified it, but I didn't get yeah. to shoot down some other arguments. Yeah. Sexual morality is the Greek word pornea, mm-hmm. which is where we get our English word pornography from. Um, it is a junk drawer term in not only the New Testament, but also secular literature at the time. Yeah. So a lot of people's arguments is... You know whether it's for you know homosexual marriage or something like that, they'll say the New Testament only speaks to illicit and explicit sexual sin, like temple prostitution yeah. and stuff like that. The problem with that is is that Paul is using the very same word that Jesus uses in Mark chapter seven. Jesus uses the term pornea, yeah. and in that context, the term pornea is any type of sexual activity or belief outside of what God prescribed in Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Yeah. So God's design is one man, one woman, one lifetime in the confines of marriage. That That's the good, um, flourishing soil for sex and sexuality and sexual ethics. Now, there's a whole slew of other things. Yeah. Because Jesus was single, Paul was single, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Sex does not have to define us, but and and we'll get into that a little bit, but the culture definitely pushes us that way. And so sexual immorality is any deviance from God's design um, to express 
sexual desires that way. And, and Jesus also, in Matthew 16, is asked a question in regards to divorce, and he's really getting asked, what's your sexual ethic here? Because yeah. we're trying to divorce and do this, that, and the other. And Jesus quotes Genesis and says, you know, therefore man shall... And, what, and then he adds, what God has joined together, yeah. let no man separate. And man, I mean, I've read a lot. I've, I've um, wrestled with this, maybe not as much as I would still like to, but I just don't know... Every other argument or counter-argument that I see is trying to make Jesus say what he didn't say. Yeah. And it's very clear that he taught on it, Paul taught on it, and um, I think that's that's really what pornea is, you yeah. know, this word when you study it. Yeah, I heard a pastor once say in terms of sexual immorality, it's it's for husbands and wives, anything you do, if you're married, it's anything sexually that you engage in without your spouse. Without yeah. without your spouse present and outside of the outside of the context of what the Bible has prescribed as God's design for sex inside of a marriage, yeah. um, I think. I mean, even then, I think that's a slippery slope. Yeah, just because yeah, yeah. There's a lot of freedom in there, but there's all. I mean, there's still sexual restraint yeah, in marriage. Correct. There's still yeah. you know a level of abstinence. There's you know there's all of this, and we don't talk about that kind of stuff enough, man. You yeah. know, so we kind of say if you're married, it's on. If you're dating or if you're single, stinks for you. You know, type right. of thing like yeah. that. You know. Yeah. So uh, let me ask these two questions. Number one: How does sexual immorality hurt a marriage or hurt a non-married person. Mm-hmm. Like what what are the what are the damaging aspects of sexual immorality relationally? I know we I know we talk about consequences being real. Sure. Um what are some of the consequences not like can we just talk about that? Can we just talk about some of the consequences sure. of sexual immorality in a marriage or outside of a marriage if you're single? Sure. Um number 1, nobody sins in isolation. Yeah. Okay, so that's why you know, that's why in the Ten Commandments, you know, the first are directed towards God and then the rest are directed towards neighbor. And that's because that's the logical flow. When you yeah. sin against God, you're going to sin against your neighbor. Um, later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that all other sins are outside somebody's body, but there's something of a joining together of two people when it comes to um, this sexual immorality. And so I think what Paul's saying there is all sin is equally damaging, or I'm sorry, all sin is equally damning, yeah. but not all sin is equally damaging. Yeah. Okay, so psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, um, there's some massive things that happen and take place when it comes to sexual sins. And I think the primary one is guilt and shame. Yeah. Um, that's the, probably, a lot of scholars would say, that's the first emotion that Adam and Eve felt as a consequence of the fall, that before they were naked and unashamed, and then they were naked and they hid themselves. Yeah. And so, and again, the good news here, good news, gospel, yeah. why was Jesus crucified naked? Yeah. You know, no artist is ever going to depict that. Right. But he was stripped, and that's to cover the shame, yeah. you know, there, that was there. And so... Um, we said this. We said loving the cross means hating our sin that put him there. Yeah. And so to the degree um, that sexual sin damages relationships, I think you look at how horrible the cross is. Yeah. And and that should let us know to yeah. the degree of how damaging that is. Yeah. Well, in the same way, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how, how the enemy and false teachers don't just like show up to your door with a pitchfork and knock on the door and say, hey, here's right. some heroin. Let's go be right. disobedient together. Like... Like nobody just wakes up one morning and decides, you know, 
I'm going to try sexual immorality. Right. Like it's a long, gradual path. Maybe it starts with a, a, a text message or a smile or an email and it escalates from there. And before you know it, you're doing things that you may not even have intended to begin with. Yeah, Paul um, would, yeah, Paul would say that it starts even further before any of that, that it starts like the idolatry yeah. is finding your identity in anything other than Christ, yeah. which then leads to covetousness. Right. So now you're discontent yeah. and you're wanting more, 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 which then leads to evil desire, yeah. which which we said is over-desire. Can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Over-desire? Like, yeah. Because like, I, like, I like cereal. Right. I like cereal a lot. Yeah. I probably over desire a good bowl of cereal. Right, right. Um, what's the problem with with over like because when we read evil desire, like we 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 don't translate it in that way in our minds, but that's the actual trans what sure. would you say, epithumia? Epithumia. Ep- epithumia yeah. is over desire. Why is that a problem here in the context of sexuality? Yeah, because it's what we struggle with is taking a good thing and making it a God thing. And so these things or these, you know, maybe desires or whatever, Augustine said it this way, that it's disordered loves. We have disordered loves. That's the problem. All sin is a product of disordered loves. Calvin said the human heart's an idol factory, that we're constantly pursuing these things. And so just what you said as an example, whether it be food, whether yeah. it be anything like that, I mean, look at our culture. Our culture is built on over-desires, on not just a hamburger, right. but a quarter pound. I mean, it, it's right. it's all of these gauges like that, and and that's the great temptation is is the over desire for those things like that. Yeah. And then once once that's in our heart, it reveals our heart's not satisfied. Yeah, we're, we're we're finding contentment in places and in things. Yeah, that a we should have never have done that, and b will never satisfy us. Yeah, and so I think it's really important to note that that. The over desire, I you know, I said it's a story about like a horse. We were spending time with a church member, and they had cattle and horses and stuff like that. And they kept asking me, "Is that gate shut? Is that gate shut?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, good because she, the horse, kept wanting to get into her feed bin, and if she gets into her feed bin, she'll eat so much that she'll kill herself. Hmm. That she'll never stop eating. That yeah. she'll eat, and her intestines and stomach will explode." And she'll die from that. And and without the satisfaction of Christ in our hearts, that's how much our hearts long for pleasure, yeah. long for comfort, long for acceptance, is that we'll eventually kill ourselves with pleasure. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And that and that's what brings us to the term covetousness, which is idolatry. Yeah. Um, that ultimately sexual immorality isn't the problem. Um, it's our it's our view of it and what we yes. th- and how much of it we think we need and why we think we need it. Yes, um, why I think I think it's really important to pause there and to yeah. say because the church I think has been painted in a corner and I think in some cases rightly so that we've been obsessed, you know, with sex or not or not doing it or yeah. you know anything that's against it or this yeah. that and the other. And I deliberately didn't spend. You know the entire sermon on that because a Paul doesn't. There's other things in the list. Right. There's other passages where he deals with it, but it's because that the behavior is the fruit of right. something. Yeah. He gets to the root when it comes to this idolatry, this covetousness. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we broke down the the we broke down where the idolatry and the covetousness um, 
kind of is rooted in, and it's sort of the way that we view sex, and right. we can view it in three different ways. Um, and you you broke it down. The first thing you said, we can, like we've said in the past, we can view it as a God thing. Yeah. We can view it as a God. Um, and this is like we see this a lot, uh, not just individually, but but culturally, um, in terms of identity. Yep. Um, and, and in terms of sexual identity. Um, and I want to ask the question: What what happens to us when our identity like becomes our sexuality? Yeah. Like, like here's an example of what I mean by this. For those of you who are listening, like, um, let's let's say we're having a conversation with somebody, and and maybe you have some questions um, or some concerns, or maybe you're you're just curious about what's going on in their life sexually or whatever. Sexual identity gives you now a place in the conversation to where you're talking to the person and you're not just saying, hey, I want to talk about that or I'm critical of that. That person's saying, you can't just be critical of that as a part of me because it's all of who I am. Right. You're, not, you're now criticizing my identity and this right. is who I am. What happens to us when our identity becomes our sexuality? Yeah, I mean, these three areas that we broke down, I learned and got from another Bible scholar, which I found you know really helpful and the number one reason why it's not our identity is because Paul says that it isn't in the passage. Right. He he later goes on and says, "In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now." Right. Yeah. And so, a we're not defined by that now. Again, Christians aren't okay with tension. And and by the way, these are massively complicated right. topics that we're talking about. And yeah. hopefully, at the end of the podcast, we'll give some resources. But. Um, I think when we say that we're defined by our sexuality, we're first and foremost skipping that we're created in the image and likeness of God. Now, he created them in his own image first. Right. And they're male and female. And so there's, there is a way in which we are defined a little bit by it because the diversity becoming a unity is a reflection of the Trinity, yeah. right? And so when a man and a woman who are two distinct beings come together in union as one, it's a reflection of, of God's nature and who he is. Yeah. But the problem is, is when we distort that, whether that be out of order, whether that be desired loves, and when that becomes our identity, A, anything that comes along and threatens that is bad. Yeah. And and in a life of idolatry, everything's going to come along and threaten that. Right. Um, secondly, it can't bear the weight of our identity. Yeah. It was never made to do that. That's and good. so, you know, I told the illustration about, you know, cleaning my car off with ice, covered in ice on the windshield with a spatula. And I slipped and busted my knuckles and, you know, bled everywhere and all this stuff. And I said it was because I was using something in a way in which it wasn't designed. Right. And if that becomes your identity, it it will damage you because it was never meant to bear the full weight of our identity. Yeah. Ever. No, that's good. That's good. So the second way, so these are, we're sort of in these sub points, the three ways to view sex. The first one is is a God. The second way is is just gross. Yeah. As to view it as something that is off-putting. We don't talk about that. That's not uh, that's not something that we need to address. I'll tell you when you're older, all that stuff. Right. Um, what are the dangers? And we also said that this is a this is a place where maybe the church has has sort of dropped the ball a little bit. 100%. Um, what are the dangers of only communicating the consequences of sex done wrong, like specifically to our church members, our 
are maybe those who aren't married, students, young adults, yep. youth, all of that. What, what are the consequences of of only communicating the con- the dangers of only communicating the consequences of sex done wrong? Yeah, the danger is is because it's always negative. Yeah. It's always bad. It's never positive. It's never starting. You know, we said, you know, here's a thought: sex was God's idea. <laughs> sex was God's invention. Yeah. So let's start there first, you know, in that aspect. And I think the church has done a massive disservice of telling people, particularly young adults and students, you know, suppress that, reject that, rather than you're a human being. This is your body. You're designed a certain way. This is why you're feeling this. This is the proper outlet for this. I mean... Yeah. That's that's a completely different view. And it even comes all the way down to even in our homes. Like, how do we talk about our bodies with our kids? You know, like one of the things we try to teach our kids not to say is, oh, you know, if they're playing basketball or doing something like that, like, oh, that hit me in the bad spot. What? That's not a bad spot. Yeah. You know, that's, we try to say personal or, you yeah. know, my, my private, I mean, I'm just trying to get really yeah. boots on the ground right. here that, that I think that if we're using negative language right. about our bodies that way, yeah. that's not healthy. Yeah. That's not healthy. We're created in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. And so I think the church has said, don't do that, suppress that. We're not going to talk about that rather than train, equip and teach people about their bodies. Yeah. And then we say, now you're married. Yeah. Now it's okay. Right. And you have, I mean, from the purity culture, you have, and and again, I believe there's good intentions. I believe God's yeah, people yeah. should be pure. I mean, this is, you know, massively important. But there's a ton of baggage in marriages yeah. about like, man, I feel guilt and shame about even consummating this or, you know, like right. all of, you don't know what to do with it. Right. And so I think there's massive implications. Why on do that. we, I, I want to talk about this for a little bit longer. Why? Because I, I very similar experience growing up in youth group and yeah. the the way that sex was communicated and all that it was sort of dangerous and you don't mess with it or deal with it and that was all we were left with. Like, why why are we? I say why are we? Just because churches in general, I think, miss the mark on this a lot. Why is that the reaction? Why 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 is the church taking this stance of sex is gross? We're not going to talk about it in great detail. You'll figure things out when you're married. Yeah. Why do we take that stance? Well, I think it goes back to Paul gives us the answer, idolatry. And most of the time that happens in legalistic um, traditions. Yeah. And so that means that if I suppress this and I don't do this, and by the way, Jesus comes along and raises the bar and is like, right. if you looked at a woman with lustful intent, right. you've committed adultery with her in your heart. We said the heart of every problem is the problem of the heart. Right. But in a legalistic thing, that means that you can control your external behavior, and you can hold something up to God and say, I haven't done blank. Right. So either A, God should love me, or B, and this is where the church really lands. And, and by the way, when I say church, I'm meaning just kind of as a whole type yeah. of a thing. Yeah. Um, that if I don't do that, then I'm better than those people. Right. And that is a massively dangerous place to be. Yeah. And and it's and by the way, anytime I've been in any environment where it's been legalistic, suppressed, don't do that, and it's talked about negative, there has been rampant sexual sin. <laughs> I mean <laughs> rampant sexual sin. Right. Whether it's, you know, a lead pastor sleeping with 30 women in the church or something like that. Anytime yeah. that from the pulpit it's harping on what women wear 
and all of that type of stuff in a negative yeah. legalistic sense, there is always rampant sexual sin. And yeah. that's just what I've seen, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Well, Paul doesn't leave it there. No. Um, Paul doesn't doesn't stay there. Uh, he talks about um, the earth... Uh, I'm sorry, the earthly pleasures uh, and passions, and then he moves on to earthly practices. Yeah. Um, and in verse 8, in verse 8 of chapter 3, he says, but now you must put them all away. So there's a little... There's a there's a little bit of good news there that we're seeing. I mean, we see from the beginning of verse 1 and chapter 3, if then you've been raised with Christ. Like, this right. is written to a new perspective of those of us who are believers and are now new creations. And verse 8, he says, but now, because you once walked in them, but now you must put them all away. And then he moves into a different kind of, of list here. He, he sort of moves, I'll just read it here in verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, and don't lie to one another. So we've moved from sort of like what's taking... Sex, sex to speech. Yeah, yeah, yep. from our from these works to our words, from sex to speech. And why, why is the shift there? Why is it moved from our works to our words, from sex to speech? Why is he shifting that? Yeah, I think he's showing a compare and contrast of internal desires of the heart yeah. and then external actions. And both of those things are going to go together yeah. in that. And it all leads back to what we said, the heart yeah. in that sense. And so sexual immorality and the acts of that come from a covetous, idolatry-ridden heart. And the same is true for anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Yeah. That whatever fills our hearts spills out of our mouths. Yeah. And um, that's that's heavy to think about, you yeah. know. And it's interesting that speech, you know, Jesus talks about words. I mean, years ago we did a whole series called Words Matter. Yeah, man. And it's just interesting how much the Bible is interested in how we talk. Yeah. Is is really interesting to me. And and we said it's because words create worlds. Yeah. You know, God said in the beginning in the Hebrew scriptures and then, you know, things were created. And I think to some element and to some degree, not to get into some word of faith stuff or anything like that, but in our speech, when we say things and do things, it's because it's coming out of a place of desire in our heart. Yeah. And then action's going to follow that yeah, naturally. Sure. You know? Well, I think that's all, man, that's also like witness to God's grace. Like it gives us a way to be able to gauge where our heart is because yes. out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And like, that's important. I want to talk about that because, yeah. we, because we said, you know, and maybe shifting a little bit, how you know how do we put it to death and how do we change yeah god always change always happens in conflict or crisis yeah and what our natural instinct is is to run from that either to not get caught or something along those lines you know i'm thinking about david and and the prophet coming to him confronting him about his sexual sin yeah it, if these things are getting exposed and maybe you're somebody listening to this and you've struggled, whether it be with the sexual sins or the sins of, you know, speech and words. And maybe somebody's come to you or something's been found out, you know, viewing pornography or the words that you say or something like that. Please listen to me. That is God's grace in your life yeah. of exposing that. Yeah. that. That means that he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to continue in that path. Yeah. And so please don't run and resist that because yeah. that is the soil 
of how we put it to death is yeah. that it's got to be exposed first. Absolutely, yeah. And and one of the ways that we can analyze ourselves is by our words. Yeah. Um, we can see pay, 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 maybe pay more attention to the words that are coming out of our mouths, and and that'll give us a better idea of what's really rooted in our heart. Is it this covetousness? Is it the idolatry? Absolutely. Um, and. I think that's important. So how how we put it to death um, was sort of the second point, uh, and we have in verse ten. Um, he says, "And have put on the new self." So we come off the end of verse nine. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. In verse ten, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, like the first time when I come across this without any kind of like exegesis, I just like, oh, well, then I just need to know more of my Bible, right? right? Like, I need to read more scripture and memorize more stuff and know more about Jesus, and then I'll be good. Is right. that what he's saying here, or is it something different? Yeah, I think he's saying, well, I mean, it's no less than what you yeah, said, for yeah. sure, but I think what he's saying is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator, the, the way that he constructs that sentence is that there's an outside force working yeah. in the life of a believer, and it goes back to those first five verses in chapter three yeah. to seek and to set your mind on things that are above if you've been raised with Christ. Yeah. And so it's us learning from God's perspective how we view ourselves. And so, you know, we said the way that you do that <clears throat> is that we fight the power of sin in our old way of life, not by focusing on sin in our old way of life, yeah. but by focusing on what Christ has done to pay for sin, yeah. which is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the good news. Yeah. Beholding that, you know, as, as Augustine would say, yeah. what we behold, we become. Right. And so, you know, if you're in this life and you're going, it's deny, 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 it's... And by the way, guardrails are great, and you know we even talked about that. We're going to talk about that more in our men's group. Yeah, you know some people don't need internet at their house, or some people maybe you don't need social media, or maybe it's okay. Yeah, Paul says that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. We need more people on the weak train. Yeah. Okay, right. we need more people saying, "Hey, you know, I don't have social media because you know X, Y." We need more people just freely admitting that and saying. Right. And when I admit that, I see God's power in my life yeah. and removing those things, but then replacing it. Right. And so, like, I love what Dr. John Piper's whole ministry is devoted to is that you only defeat earthly pleasures with heavenly pleasures. Yeah. That's why he says God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Yeah. And so it's all about a pursuit of pleasure and joy. Yeah. And when we find that in our identity in Christ, man, that's when it... You know, it's the song that we sang, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, yeah. and the things of this earth will go strangely dim. Yeah. That's the truth, you know, when you look at Jesus that way. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. Well, we said there were three sort of ap application points that we kind of gave to people to take away. Um, I say we. You wrote the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, well, we, we were all there. Well, so, the, yeah. the first thing that that you said was recognize and confess what your struggles are on these lists in the text. Yep. Why is it important that we're... Uh, and the second one was repent, and this, that's a community aspect. So there's one, there's there's internal, and there's one, there's external. Recognize is internal, and then repent is external. It's community. Why is it important that we're honest with ourselves and others about these things? Yeah, I mean, listen, if we believe that God's Word is inspired and that all of Scripture is breathed out by God, this isn't a random list. Right. Okay, so if we stop and we meditate on that, Paul, under the inspiration <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit, is writing the, these lists specifically. Yeah. And so I think if we want 
specific growth in our life and change in our life, if we want God to answer our prayers, then we need to pray specific prayers. Yeah. And I think I think you've got to be honest with this list. Yeah. Because if you come to this list and go, nah, it's not, you know, nothing really resonates, then right. man, I think you're in a dangerous place. Yeah. Now the lists stem from the single heart issue. Right. But they're manifested in different ways. Yeah. Which I think is really important for us to distinguish because in the church we like to say, you know, because this sexual sin is expressed this way. Yeah. It's less cliche than this sexual sin expressed this way. Right. And the reality is, is they're both sexual sins. Right. And they all stem from that place. And yeah. so I think if you want specific change, yeah. you need a specific plan. Yeah. Well, and the third challenge, the third application, it's not just to recognize and then repent, but it's it's to return home. It's to run back to the Father. Yes. To run back to to the one who gives us our identity in the first place, the yes. one who shows us who we are in Christ and made us who we are in Christ. Yes. Um, and I that, think that, yeah, that, that's yeah. Paul's entire motivation. Yeah. When he gets into verse 11 here, there's not Greek, Jew, circumcised, right. uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, which... The fact that he included them is crazy. These guys were like barbarians, like just, you know, they would cut the skin off people and wear it. Uh, yeah, like crazy stuff. Wow. Slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And and that's the that's the concept, yeah. is, is to return to the Father's house. If, if this list, like the prodigal, you've gone away and pursued that old way of life. Yeah. Um, I was just really struck with the compare and contrast of the prodigal son yeah. And this for some reason, because, you know, when the elder brother comes in and says, you've never done these things, the father says this line, all that I've ever had has been yours, mm-hmm. has been yours and your brothers. Yeah. Meaning your identity is defined by what I've provided for you. And it's always been yours. Just because your brother strayed far away from home and came back doesn't mean that we're celebrating him any more than we are you. Yeah. And, and the elder brother wouldn't go in the house. Yeah, you know, and 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 it's so heartbreaking to see that story. And I think when it comes to sexual sin, to get back to that, there's there's a shame and a guilt that that makes us stray further and further and further away. Yeah. And unfortunately, and it breaks my heart to say this, the church should be the place that somebody should be able to return to yeah. and come back to with a life of repentance. And we're gonna love you as you change. Yeah. Right. Um, because God's love changes us. Yeah. But unfortunately, man, and I don't know why, and it breaks my heart, but anytime I've ever seen this pursued in community, um, people run. Yeah. You know, whether it be confronted on this, whether it be dealing with this, people run. And, and man, it just breaks my heart because I think the Father's wanting us to return, not run. Yeah. You know? No, that's good. It's good news to have a dad who wants you to come home. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's really good. Well, we're creeping up on our time here. I'm going to close us out with a with a verse that we read this on Sunday, and normally I've been closing out and with a verse, and uh, this one just felt right to to read at the end of of today's podcast. So this is from First John chapter three, verses one through three. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who hopes in him 
purifies himself as he is pure. Yes. That is good news. Yeah, man. I got two things. Yeah, two things. Number one, if you're somebody who, um, you know, I, I know there's other things on the list, but yeah. I also know that sexual immorality is not an problem, but it's a, you know, it's the problem. Right. And so when it comes to identity and studying and understanding it, there's a great book called A Celebration of Sex, A Guide to Enjoying God's Gift of Sexual Intimacy. Uh, by Douglas Razanow. I just butchered that. But anyway, you can find that on Amazon for like 15, 16 bucks. Great introductory thing when it comes to understanding sort of a view of sex. Yeah. If you really want to dive into it, any systematic theology that deals with the Imago Dei, the image of God, and, and a sexual ethic would be a good thing to continue to pursue in that. Yeah. Um, so, so those are great resources for that. And then lastly, major huge announcement that we announced Sunday at yeah. church where we do an Easter at, man. <laughs> We're doing Easter at the Rogers. Yeah, we are. Yes. The Poplar Bluff's historic location, the Rogers Theater downtown. Yes. We will be engaged uh, with them for Easter this year, which will be super fun. Which is super special to announce because yeah. a, a year ago this time, we announced that we were... Um, you know, shutting down in-person gatherings due yeah. to COVID and everything like that. And right. so Sunday we got to announce, hey, we're not celebrating Easter and quarantine this year, man. Right. We are celebrating, and it is going to be a blast. So if yeah, you're man. in the Popper Bluff, Butler County area, or even, you know, the north end of Arkansas or anything like that, Popper Bluff, Missouri, um, on Easter Sunday, April 4th at 10 a.m. That's man, it. The Rogers Theater. Yep, awesome. Well, thank you for those resources. We'll get the guys to drop those in the show notes so you guys don't have to look them up. You can just click on the link. Um, if you have any questions about who we are as a church, you can visit us at westsidepb.org. And if you have any questions that you want to send in, especially on like a week like this week where who knows what kind of questions, that, that so many questions can spur from a topic in a text like this, we want to hear your questions. You can send us those at info at westsidepb.org, and we will answer those here on the podcast in the future. So please send those to us. Again, you can visit us at our website at westsidepb.org. You can find every, this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, which you know that already. And then uh, you can catch us at 9, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. for our in-person gatherings, and we Facebook live stream our service at 11 a.m. on Sundays. And apart from that, I think that's it. You got anything else? No, man, that's it. All right, awesome. As always, may everything that we say and do be all about Jesus. We love you guys. Bless us.